0: you would turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, that's where we're at. If you're looking to serve and volunteer, we have a lot of opportunities coming up. It's not a full-time commitment. It's just show up on those days. This Tuesday in two days, we have the big uh, truck food delivery. If any of you all are available between 12 and 2, just show up here, and there's a lot of truck to unload and to stock in our new food pantry building. That is this Tuesday. Wednesday night, we have dinner here at church. We need people to sweep and wipe tables and take out trash, and there's an opportunity for you to serve there. That's this Wednesday night. This Friday, we will feed the high school football team again. Another opportunity for you to sweep the floor and wipe down tables and take out trash and love on some young people and cheer on a football team. That's Friday at 3 o'clock. And then, As we just saw from the video, next Sunday, all the shoeboxes are due. Everybody that's taken a shoebox has to have that back in by next Sunday. And so at the end of Sunday, looking into that next week, Monday and Tuesday, the following week, we'll need to sort out all those boxes. We'll need to load those up in some vehicles and get them to the, to the delivery place. So if you've got some free time and you're looking to serve and be helpful and contribute, uh, there are a lot of opportunities coming up. Just let us know or just show up here or call the church office. Uh, no, no commitment, just come. I also want to tell you that we're going to uh, adjust our schedule a little bit. We're going to be in Revelation today. We're we're near the end of Revelation. It's chapter 16, so we're getting there. We're going to be in Revelation today. We're going to be in Revelation next Sunday. We'll be in Revelation the next Sunday, and then we'll be done for the rest of the year because the following Sunday will start Advent, Christmas season. That's November the 27th when that begins, and we're going to do a whole series in our church on Christmas and Advent, and we'll do that all the way through December. Christmas, is, Christmas Day is on a Sunday, and then New Year's Day is on a Sunday. Yes, we're having church, in case anybody's wondering, we're having church on those days, and, and that will get us all the way into January. And so we won't be back in revel reveling that. Let's make sure we're focused in until January, okay? So just to give y'all some scheduling updates on that, let's make sure we're focused in on Revelation today, next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and then we'll break, and then we'll be excited to come back to it when 2023 gets here, right? Sounds crazy future, I know. The other day, my daughter was telling me that uh, they had an event at school, and they were supposed to dress like the old days. She said, so I need to find something from the 90s. It was spirit week, and they had to dress like the old days. She needed to look up what they looked like in the 90s. That's what she said. I couldn't believe that. I felt that deep. I felt that really deep. But we're studying Revelation today, and it's been a really good study for us. Revelation climaxes with the end of the world the setting up of heaven, the kingdom coming, which you and so many others have prayed for countless times, haven't we? In that modeled prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. You've prayed for that, haven't you? You have prayed your kingdom come. The Bible ends with Jesus bringing in his kingdom that's going to be a beautiful day. That's the day that we're looking forward to. And while that day will be a glorious day, it will also be a day of judgment, a very heavy day of judgment. And what the return of Christ is, is both at the same time, simultaneously, the salvation of all those who want it and the judgment of all those that do not want it. In Revelation 16, we are there. These are the seven bowls of God's wrath. It doesn't get much heavier than today's passage. There's a tendency for each of us, and this is is a bad thing, but it's the way we are, that we try to understand God through what we're like. And that's a flaw in the way we think. We try to understand God through what we are and what we've experienced and the way we think things should be, and that's a flaw. The Bible teaches us that this is to be our lens. This is the way we are to see the world. A Christian worldview views the world through the truth of God that God's delivered and revealed to us. And so if we want to make a judgment on something, we say, okay, what does God say about it? What does God want us to know? How are we to think about it? And we understand things through God's truth. It's not good for me to think, okay, well, what do I think? And what is my life like? And what do I think is good or bad or right or wrong? And how was I raised? And what influenced me? And then try to fit God into that. That's not good. That's not how it's supposed to be. Well, one of the ways, and there's many areas where this is a big problem, but one of the ways that this is a problem is on judgment. Because there are examples in our lives where we think, we need stronger judgment. I was at a soccer game this year where the referees didn't show up. And so they just said, well, we're going to have to play it without referees. Everybody just try to, try to be honest out there. How do you think that went? Right? And so you're like, you know, we, we need a strict referee here today to say, no, that was out of bounds, and that was a foul, right? So there are times where you just totally know that you need judgment. Harsh. We need to, and there's other times where we're like, this judgment is way too harsh. We need to, we need to pull back a little bit. You're, you're killing them over there. Have a, have a heart, right? And then there's, then there's other times where there's anger issues. And man, that's a maybe that's always been an issue, but that's an issue today of anger issues. I know that I sometimes get angry in in ways that I shouldn't. I know sometimes I get more angry in ways that I shouldn't. And I've got a great wife who helps me think through, you're being too angry right now, and you don't want to be that way. Anger issues are real for people. I don't know if women have anger issues, but us men have anger issues. And so then we start to think, Well, he's angry, and that's bad. He's angry, and that's ugly. He's angry, and he shouldn't be. And then we get into, no, don't do this. You might make him angry. Or I can't do this because we know how he will react. And even though you should say something here or you should do something here, we're not going to do it because it'll just make it worse by the way he'll respond. And you know what's happened? Now our world is almost totally against a good God being a good judge because we've tried to think about it on all of these wrong ways. We don't think judgment's right, and then we think judgment's too harsh, and then we think about anger issues. And so now we, we almost fail or struggle to think through just good, right judgment the way the Bible wants us to. From the beginning of time, it's been God's the judge. And He's a good judge, never a bad one. He doesn't make any wrong judgments. He's altogether right and true. God doesn't have anger issues. Matt just read from 2 Peter 3 that He's slow to anger and He's patient with us. He doesn't want anybody to die. That's how God is. When you're in loving and when He judges, that's a good judgment. When you read the story of Noah and the flood and the ark and that horrible judgment scene where God destroys everything, you read it and you've heard that everybody was doing evil. It says everybody only did evil continually. And when it says Noah found favor in the eyes of God, I think when you read that you think, wow, how lucky was Noah. Val was reading that story with the kids this week and I heard them. And Val asked, "How does that make you think or feel?" And one of our kids said, "I bet Noah's family was happy to be related to Noah." Isn't that a good response? If God's going to wipe the world out, but Noah found favor in his eyes, and because Noah found favor in his eyes, the rest of the family, eight total, get saved too? You're like, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm related to Noah. You don't think that the judgment was wrong. They were only doing evil continually. So what we're doing here today is we're reading about the end of the world, the end times judgment, the wrath of God being poured out. And in his mercy and in his help, may God allow us to see that he's good and everything that he does is right. And may we submit ourselves to that and trust him and see what he's doing with it. I pray and we've been praying all week that the lord would help us to understand his judgment and the wrath of god read with me chapter 16 of revelation the seven bowls then i heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven so the first and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of god so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and "...harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And everything, every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, "'Just are you, O holy one,' who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east "'And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon "'and out of the mouth of the beast "'and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirit spirits like frogs, "'for they are demonic spirits, "'performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world "'to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. "'Behold, I am coming like a thief. "'Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, "'that he may not go about naked and be exposed.' And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple, throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. If you know the Exodus story, you see so many parallels here in this chapter 16, don't you? Many of these plagues resemble the plagues from the Exodus. Last week, chapter 15, or two weeks ago, chapter 15 gave us an introduction to these bowls. That's what chapter 15 is. And there we heard about verse 3, the song of Moses, being the song of the Lamb. So this is a song of deliverance, which takes us back to the Exodus and the deliverance there. So you see here a connection to God's judgment on sin, along with salvation and deliverance, which is what's going on at the end of the world. Now, as I opened up with, judgment is a good thing. When one is in the right, when judgment is right, when judgment is good and the thing that is wronged or the wrongdoer is being punished for the offense, then we know that judgment is a good thing. But we also need to be remembering in this judgment passage, when, see is a good and beautiful thing when the one that's in the right decides to show mercy to the one that's in the wrong in the place of showing a right judgment. These are the categories that we need to be thinking of as we study chapter 16. So what's happening in the judgment of God It's not an angry God coming to do something out of control. It's a good God bringing his whole essence of good and right and true and purity face to face with all the wrong. Think about that. It's like the light being turned on in a dark room where there's a lot of shady things going on. If you turn the lights on, there's going to be a lot of stuff exposed. It's like the teacher coming back into a classroom when there's been all of this rebellion going on while the teacher stepped out. It's the goodness of God coming back into all of the sinfulness of people. Commentator Wilcox says, the opponents of Christ cannot endure such an onslaught Of goodness and purity. What a thought. The wicked world and those who do not want God to be true will not be able to handle his goodness. His goodness. Especially as his goodness rightly, ultimately, finally, after much patience, exercises judgment. So here today, I want to give you five observations from the judgment of God in His seven bowls of wrath. The kids that are using a listening page, they are the, these are these five points. Number one, the judgment of God will be worldwide. Look at verse, it's not sixteen. Go and pour out on the earth. It's not that country over there. It's not those people that are in that religion. The wrath of God will be poured out on the earth. It says that in verse 1. If you look at verse 2, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. This judgment at the end will be a universal judgment. The judgment is going to be on everything. And as we see in the second bowl, it includes the sea, it includes every living thing that is in the sea. This is going to be the end time judgment of the world. It will all be judged. The judgment of God as the bowl is being poured out, as the end of God's word, the Bible, the book of Revelation is telling us, is a worldwide universal judgment. Everything is going to be judged. Just as Jesus died to offer forgiveness of sins to all the people from everywhere, and just as God is actively saving people and redeeming and ransoming people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, God will also judge everyone from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Both of those things are true, and they're both good. God is not a God of certain places. He's not a God of certain peoples. He's not the God of these and not the God of these. There is one God, and he is God over all the nations. His people are gathered from all the nations, and the people that are rejecting him are from all the nations. God's not partial to anybody anywhere. He sent his son to die on the cross under his wrath poured out on the sins of the world. And whosoever will believe that will be saved. May we go and tell it far and wide. May we have a heart like I prayed for at the beginning that every person you lock eyes with could be saved from the wrath of God if you were to tell them of his love for them and they were to believe. May God grip you with that. The pastoral prayer time here to do to fill is not something that Pastor Matt or Pastor Jake or Pastor Womble just gets up here to do to fill a little three to five minute buffer in this service so that the band can get down and the offering can get finished and all of that. It is a heartfelt burden that we want you all to get for the glory of God. And may you and I really feel that everybody can be saved. And may God use us to get to that. And if they won't be saved, the wrath of God is coming on them. In the same way that Jesus died so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In the same way Jesus died so that whoever does not believe in him will perish. That's universal. That's worldwide. Ephesians 4 says it like this. There is one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Ephesians 4 goes on to say, There is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all And in all. When God comes back to judge the world, it will be worldwide. Now remember. That now we're at the seven bowls. A few chapters back were the seven trumpets. A few chapters back were the seven seals. And those aren't necessarily all of these different judgments. They're different perspectives on the same judgments that God's doing in the world and ultimately to the final judgment. But let me remind you of something. In the, in the trumpets judgments in chapter 8, remember that each one of them said that judgment would come on one-third of the earth? Do you all remember that? It said over and over again, he judged one-third of the earth, which is letting us know that's not the end. That's some judgments that are being played out in in history. It's only one-third, one-third. It says that many times. Not with the bowls. Chapter 16. Not here at the end. Not with the bowls. This is the end. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, look at this, which are the last, look at this, for with them the wrath of God is what? Finished. This is it. This is it. This is the end of the world as we know it. The judgment of God will be worldwide. But secondly, number two, kids with a listening page, the judgment of God will be right. It will be right. It will be correct. It will be a good thing. It will be true. God's judgment is good and right. Look what they say starting in verse 5. Look what they say starting in verse 5. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. It's God doing this, and he's just in doing it. Look what it says in verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. Look at this next line. It is what they deserve. Verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The angels know this. Remember, y'all, angels are a, are a unique creation. They're not people. I think you know this. You need to be reminded again. People don't become angels. Angels don't become people. That never happens, okay? Sometimes angels, sometimes angels appear as people, but they're angels. All right? When you die, you don't become an angel, no matter how sweet you are or how sweet you have been. Angels are unique in that way. God made them, and they serve him. They're servants. They're messengers of God. They serve God. And they've got this unique perspective when we're really sure to watch all that goes on in the world. They do. Angels see when we're really struggling, and they see when we're far from God, and they see when we're sinning, and they see when we worship, and they help us with all of that stuff. And at the end of the world, at the judgment, it's an angel here that's saying, you're right to do that, God. That's right. You're true. You're just. They deserve it. Glory to God. You're the Holy One. It's right. That's what the angels are saying in the end. Now, what we have here in verse 6 is a helpful perspective. We see in verse 6 that God's judgment is good and right because of the wrong that people have done. People have opposed God and his people throughout history. And the judgment that's coming on the world is because of the way people have opposed God and his people. That is specifically said in verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and so now God is judging them. Opposition to God, opposition to God's ways, opposition to God's people will result in a judgment from God. And the angel knows this. They have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. Tom Schreiner, commentating on this, says, John is recognizing that there's often objection from people about God's judgment. Listen to what he says. He says, John, that's who's writing Revelation, is sensitive to those questioning the judgments and emphasizes that they verify God's justice. The Holy One of Israel always does what is right. Even though life often seems futile and meaningless and irrational, in the end, God will make everything right. And I would imagine have said before, well, that's not fair. It's not fair the way it went down. It's not fair the way that worked out. And you may have been right in that. The Bible is telling us here that there will be a day where God treats everybody fairly. And it'll be right for him to do so. Now, I want to show you something else about this that's really cool. You may have picked up on it. In verse 5 there, the angel says, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. Does everybody see that? Who is and who was? Well, that's the same way they said it back in verse 11. I mean, chapter 11. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 11, verse 17, it says, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. But before we started hearing that, there was another line, wasn't it? Who is and who was and who is to come. Revelation 1 4, Revelation 1 8, Revelation 4 8, those beautiful songs in heaven, that's what they said. We worship you, God, who is and who was and who is to come. Well, you know why they're no longer saying who is to come? He's come. It's no longer future. At the seven bowls of the wrath of God, the judgment of God is not something future. It is happening right here, right now. It's coming one day. And the passage Matt read from 2 Peter 3 reminds us that none of us should be going, oh, yeah, 2,000 years ago. Yeah, it surely will. They called it the end times 2,000 years ago, like it's ever really going to happen right now. 2 Peter 3 reminds us that a day is like a thousand years with God and a thousand years is like a day. It is right that God will judge and when he comes it will at the right time and the And we know that at the right time and the right place judgment is good and we all know that we just struggle to be balanced and fair with it. I remember a couple years ago hearing a story of a lady that was walking, an elderly lady that was walking out of Croker. And two young guys ran up to her, an elderly lady walking out of Croker. And two young guys ran up to her, pushed her, beat her up a little bit, knocked her down, took her purse, and ran. And every one of us think, hope they catch them, right? Right? I don't think anybody's going, well, I sure, hope, I sure hope they don't catch them. That, that wouldn't be fair, right? So there are times where we can totally recognize that judgment is right. We could go on and on with examples like that. May your heart believe that a good God judging a sinful world is right. Number one, it will be worldwide. Number two, it will be right. Number three... The judgment of God will be opposed. It will be opposed. This is one of the heavier realities. It kind of hurts to read it. I hope you were thinking that. As we read through this long chapter 16 at the beginning, I hope you kind of felt that. I didn't even really like too much reading it. People reject God now. And they're still going to reject God then. I mean, you feel a certain way when somebody tells you God loves you with an everlasting love. His steadfast love endures forever, and He loves you, and Christ died for your sins. He'll wash away all your sins. You feel a certain way when you hear that. But there are people that think, yeah, right. I don't want to hear that. And suck that out of my face. There are people that reject that. And so, even in the judgment at the end, they will still oppose it. They will still hate him. Look what it says in verse 8. He allows the sun to scorch people with fire. Verse 9. And how do they respond to that? They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent. And give him glory. Y'all, the severity of God should cause you to hit your knees and say, Oh, God, have mercy on us. God, take away the heat. Take away the struggle. Take away the discipline and the punishment. God, have mercy on me. Help me. And yet, what we see in these passages today is that there's a whole lot of people who are gonna go the opposite direction. Instead of running to God who would receive them, they run from God. If you you turn over a little bit further to verse 10, it says, people gnawed their tongues in anguish. Verse 11 says, they cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. They're not being judged because they're so good. They're being judged because their sins have been against God, the good God. And judgment is a good judgment against bad things. It's a good judgment from a good God that loves them because of their crookedness and their evil. And that's seen so clearly in that when he judges them, they only curse him more. It's horrible to even read. Schreiner writes, they are convinced that they do not deserve these punishments and thus Blaspheme and revile God for punishing them. Complaining that the judgments are unfair. Just so hard and calling into question God's character, which is just so hard to hear. To think that fallen, flawed humans like me and like you would try to say God's wrong before we would say that we're wrong. That, That almost... Creeps me out that we might be that messed up. That we would say, God's the one that's wrong here, instead of going, God, my fault, forgive me. But the point is, the point is, is that God will be, and his judgment will be opposed. Now we see this throughout scripture. The Proverbs talk about this state of mind a lot. Listen to this one, Proverbs nineteen three, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. That's what we see here at the end with gnawing their tongues and cursing God and shaking their fists at him. And no matter what, we will not give you glory. We will not repent. We will not humble ourselves. We will not dare say, You're right, I'm wrong. That's scary. The judgment of God will be opposed by some people. Number four, the judgment of God will definitively defeat the devil. The judgment of God will definitively defeat the devil the sixth bowl which starts in verse 12 is setting up for this it doesn't make it all final in this chapter because we get more description of it chapter 17 is about that chapter 18 is about that and so the the defeat of the devil is the sixth about this but just let me show you a little bit okay the, the, the sixth bowl, which starts in verse 12, is this preparing for the final battle, the battle at the end of the world. Look at verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Remember a few chapters back, we talked about that being an unholy trinity. The devil, the dragon, and the two beasts, one being false religion and be- one being uh, the crooked state, like a crooked a government and politicians and the influence they have in a world, this unholy trinity. So they're coming for battle and they're gathering kings and influence of the world to battle against God. And what is a really distasteful picture, imagery at the end of verse 13, coming out of their mouth is unclean spirits like frogs. Kind of a gross picture is dirty, nasty, unclean frogs coming out of a mouth. It's a picture of ungodliness. It's a picture of blah, not good, not representing truth the way God is. Verse 14 says, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Verse 16 says, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And what's really odd in this passage is that verse 15 seems like it's out of place, like it's just thrown in there. You've got a quote from Jesus that says in verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. We're reminded here that when God comes in the end, in that great battle to end it all and defeat, but just so that you know, that there will be salvation there But just so that you see it even more clearly on the definitive defeat of the devil, let me show you. Look at chapter 17, which is just describing this further, verse 14. 17, 14. They will make war on the lamb. That's that battle. And the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Turn over to chapter 20. Look at verse 10, chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil, that's the dragon of chapter 16 in the sixth bowl. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. There's your unholy trinity. Uh, And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The judgment of God is, in the end, will be the definitive defeat of the devil. Commentator Wilcock, a different guy, says this, Bowl sixth is the next and last stage of the divine punishment, and in it the purposes of God and Satan in a mockable way converge. Having seen his perversion of human society confounded, Satan says, If I can no longer pervert, I will destroy. And he and the beast and the false prophet inspire the kings of the earth, no longer able to maintain the inconstant balance they call peace to a frenzy of mutual slaughter. Armaments multiply, armies march, and men die. Not their kith and kin but they themselves. For as trumpet six was the last warning, bringing death before them, bowl six is the last punishment, bringing death to them. So you. But while Satan is saying, I will destroy, God is saying, so you shall. Satan's purpose is to assert his power. God's purpose is to prosecute his justice. The result is the same, Armageddon. What a thought. Satan is trying to go out with go down swinging. Trying to ruin all that he can. And yet God reigns. He's the king of it all. And he's coming to end it in judgment. And he will judge the world. He will judge the nations. But he will definitively defeat the devil. The judgment of God will be, number one, worldwide. It will be, number two, it will be right. Number three, it will be opposed. Number four, it will definitively de- defeat the devil. And lastly, finally, the judgment of God will be escaped through Jesus. The judgment of God will be escaped through Jesus. Look how the bowls passage ends. We're at 16 there. Chapter 16, it starts in verse 17. It says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. So there's an ending there. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, just write this down, because I want to help you with this. Chapter 6, 12 through 17. Chapter 11, 15 through 19. In chapter 21, verse 6, all of those with some questions, obviously it's not super obvious, all of those with some questions, I think, are talking about the same thing, the end, the final judgment. Verse 18 says, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. About the, the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. It's talking there about the metaphor of Babylon being this great city, which actually is a nation, this great city, this great nation that is representative of the world being against God. And it will start to fall apart. It will start to crumble. It's going to become undone. God's going to defeat it. And that's what's being pictured here. He goes on to pour out his wrath against them. Verse 20 says, every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. This is a common theme in Scripture. Every time we get to talking about the judgment of God, it's like everything's undone. The mountains run away and the islands flee and the sea is no more and the earth is no more. That's what the Bible describes a lot about the scene, the cataclysmic major scene of the judgment of God. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each. Now that is hard to picture and imagine, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. That's going to happen one day. It's going to be the end of the world in the judgment. But the Bible teaches us that during life, the gospel is to be Proclaimed. And while we share the good news of Jesus, God is drawing people to himself, and we see people respond. And the book of Hebrews says that when Jesus comes back in this moment, there will be those who are eagerly waiting for him. You remember that wording? There will be those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's like when Thessalonians describes the cry of command and the trumpet sound and the voice of an archangel and those who are here on earth will meet him in the air right you've heard of that and so this horrible judgment that is coming will be escaped john chapter 5 says that those who trust in Christ do not come into judgment john 5:24 they do not come into judgment for they have passed from death, the world as we know life. Commentator Schreiner says, The world as we know it vanishes, for the islands are gone and the mountains disappear. John regularly signals that the end is come by portraying displacement in the natural order. We see this clearly in a number of key texts in Revelation. Chapter 6 says, With the sixth seal judgment, every mountain and island was removed from this place. When God judges on the great white throne, from his presence, earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. When the new creation dawns in chapter 21 of Revelation, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The disintegration of the natural world means the end is at hand. And when the end is at hand, what you will have is God and his son with his people. And there will be no more crying. And there will be no more suffering. And there will be no more sin. It'll be the new creation. It'll be glorious. It'll be better than we can imagine. It'll be what our hearts have longed for every day struggling day that we lived. The judgment is going to be severe, as chapter 16 tells us, but it can be escaped through Jesus. The very God that is bringing that wrath one day soon has also already brought that wrath on the cross of Jesus some 2,000 years ago. It was the will of the Lord to crush his son, Jesus. It was the holiness of God that poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross for our sins. There's one sense in which we weren't coming judgment because what's it going to be like? But there's another sense that sees how ugly and terrible the cross of Christ was when he who knew no sin Came sin for us and was crucified. If you will believe that your sins killed him, if you will believe that his death was for you, then you will be saved. He'll forgive all your sins. And these seven bowls of judgment that are coming one day won't be for you. What a glorious thing it is to say the God of heaven is my Father. And he loves me and sent his son to die for me. And he's not coming back to judge me. He's coming back to judge all those who reject him. The Bible often says, come Lord Jesus. Because when he comes, it will be everything good. It will be everything fair. May God in his grace move your heart to that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you. You are good and true. You are right and just. You do not get angry in the wrong way. You are slow to anger and patient. You love people. Father, when you bring the judgment, may we be ready for it and looking and hoping in Christ. Father, I pray today that we would not scare people into a religion, but we would alarm people of the scary position to be in, in our sins before a holy and true God. Father, lead us all to repent. Amen and trust in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.